Good evening. At last, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and with me tonight is Troy, old reliable goodfellow. Old reliable? Good lord. I'm neither old nor am I that reliable, actually. Yeah, but when you need when you need to put together a 3MA at the last possible minute or long after the last possible minute, uh, you're the guy I go to. I have so much experience doing that, that's why. We're also joined once again by our friend Greg Tito of The Escapist. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. I always want to call you Greg Tito, like Marshall Tito, but I, I, I just that's just that's just wrong. But it is wrong, yeah. But it's you know it's either that or Tito. That's that's what I get all the time. Yeah, and that's just that's just no good for anyone. <laughs> well, I mean, for some people. Tonight we're going to be talking about a Game of Thrones Genesis, the ongoing Napoleon in Europe death match currently underway at the Escapist, and matters of deception and trust among gamers and their games. So I wanted to start with the game we've all been playing a bit of lately, a Game of Thrones. I think we're all in agreement the game has some big, big issues, uh, but we're talking about it anyway because it has some interesting things going on going on with it. So, Craig, I wanted to start with you. What, what what's been your reaction to a Game of Thrones, and uh, what do you think about the core conceit of it, which is that units units can basically lie to you, right? The the overall thing that I think about it is that uh, it it. it delivered on the the intrigue that I thought was was really kind of important for a Game of Thrones game. You know, the RTS I was a little bit scared because I thought it was going to be, you know, just a big armies clashing and you know they'd have some dragons and and you know slap the license on it and that would be it. Uh, but they really did, I think, do a really interesting way of dealing with uh, 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 the intrigue by using these non-combat units. And they don't necessarily lie to you, but you can when playing. Uh, you know, seduce or buy off certain units so that when you're playing them, they look like they are controlled by you, but in fact, they're being controlled by the enemy. Is that is that what the the conceit that you're talking about? Yeah, there's just a general lack of. It's a game where you really can't trust what you're seeing. It's not just a matter of fog of war, but the game will happily feed you false information, and so there's a lot of. The, the game makes it necessary to verify. A, a lot of things like do I really have an alliance here uh, do you know can I trust one of the one of the niftier things I thought was that um if you infiltrate a spy into the enemy base the next uh, you know sort of intelligence unit uh, the the enemy unit the enemy creates will actually be an agent in your employ and so he could be sending an emissary around and striking all these alliances and they're all they're they're all false flag operations. There are no alliances being struck. Right. Yeah. Which is and then also you can just send in a spy to make a secret alliance, uh, and have the uh, the town be producing money for you. Although it will still look like it's producing money for the person who who has it, and they have to send the spy in to figure out if it's actually true. Yeah. So that th- those are really kind, and it, it makes you want to juggle this like network of of units. Like you have to have. The assassins and the spies and the noble ladies all there, because uh, the noble ladies can also seduce units to 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 have the same effect, so that you can seduce a uh, an envoy, and then that envoy will go on and create all these other alliances for your side uh, because of the 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 wiles of the women. Yeah, and and then of course the uh, noble ladies also play the role of sort of a diplomatic trump card, where if you need to make sure that one of your territories stays loyal. Uh, you can create a. You can marry one of the one of your noble ladies off to you know to a noble in that town, and then the town isn't susceptible to any sort of intrigue, uh, but unless of course you assassinate the the noble lady. Exactly. 
which uh, I found just it, it was this whole. It, it's not necessarily rock paper scissors, but it's got that 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 kind of feel to it. That like certain units trump certain other ones, and you have to have all of them and know how to use them and when to use them in order to to really succeed. So, Troy, what have you thought? Of, what, what have you thought about these mechanics? Have, have they worked for you? These mechanics work for me in the abstract. I mean, I think saying the units lie to you is the perfect way to capture it. I mean, this is because the units I haven't done it, figured out how to phrase this properly. It's a lot like I think doing Akron last week mm. and Game of Thrones this week. I think they're really a nice pair because they both have these great, brilliant, genius central concepts surrounded by all of this draws. Right. So let's focus on the central genius concept for now. And the units really are lying to you. And I can't think of any other game. And there are other games that have deception. But it's always about deceiving your opponents. It's always about, think about Ruse, the great uh, RTS from last year, the best strategy game of 2010, uh, in my opinion, um, where you were always deceiving your opponent and feeding them false information. But very rarely are your own units feeding you false information. And that's what this game is about, where you are converting enemy units. And this isn't Age of Empires conversion, where all of a sudden your catapult or elephant are stomping on your own units. This is where it looks like they're doing things for you, and they're not. And it is, can you trust your units? And it is about the verification. And it is a very unusual um, non-military, it is an unconventional type of warfare, it is the type of stuff you do read about uh, in the Martin novels, where it is about uh, swaying houses and the art of persuasion and the art of assassination and who is on whose side and who can you trust, which is an important part. It's an important part of the politics of the books. The books are about more than the politics. There's this whole larger thing going on as well. Yeah. But as far as the political stuff, um, that's really what the books are about it. So who do you trust and who is on your side? Uh, who do you trust with your secrets? Who do you send on which mission? And you send in the wrong envoy to the wrong place and uh, can really undermine your entire goal. And it is really a unique and interesting thing. I really had no idea this was coming. Uh, Greg said, I mean, when this was announced and took all the screenshots and the very minimal marketing, there was nothing. There was nothing, yeah. Anywhere. I mean, I expected all the screenshots were like armies standing in front of castles and dragons swooping. So it's like, well, this is great. This is, you know, it's, this is not, this is a nice medieval, this is Age of Kings, only with a license on top. And it turned out not to be that at all. Um, it's something very, very unusual um, and something kind of weird that could have been done so much better. If yeah, that's that's the real that's the real you know terrible part about it is that this is this great uh, thing that you never ever see, but you're you said it before it's just surrounded by this just awful mechanics and bad writing and 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 awful campaign design that uh, the rest of the game is just you know utterly forgettable except for this you know and it's not just one concept it's it's the right. whole the, all of those non-combat units and their mechanics and how they work together well, I, mean, I bet you could argue, you could argue I mean, you don't even need at that many non-combat units i mean how many do you need a spy and an assassin and a rogue well but, if you played on the bigger maps i mean you, you, need, you need several going in different directions and checking a spy can check one town you know and well, on the other side yeah but, do they, but they all need to be three why can't you just have an, an espionage unit that multitasks 
Yeah, I mean, they're doing, you need three different types of units. That's fine, but it can get very complicated. Um, oh, so you're saying but, that you'd prefer it to be one unit? I prefer, well, or maybe two. Um, but I think it's about that. That's just a larger design issue that we'll mm-hmm. get into that. Because yeah. this is really, cause, because it ends up becoming a real-time traffic cop. But let's just focus on this whole, the deception thing, I think, is a really neat and interesting way of, uh, I mean, you could argue that the Martin books are based partially on, or are inspired by the War of the Roses. Um, where you have, you know, the British crown, the question of, you know, are the nobles going to be, you know, York or Lancaster? Uh, where are they going to come down on this? And the question of where the throne belongs is actually a big deal. Um, so this, it's nice to see a game kind of dealing with the fact you can, your agents are not always trustworthy. Um, and I'm not sure you could do this in every game. You would not want this in every game. But I think it's a, it shows that somebody uh, at Cyanide, when they picked up this license really, really cheap, because they picked it up before HBO series got really, really popular. So they picked it up dirt cheap. You know that. Because there's mm-hmm. no way Cyanide would have been able to get it once the HBO series became huge. Uh, but somebody actually got a central core idea of what the books were about. And that's great. Uh, that's nice to see. It interests me to hear you both saying that you think in a lot of ways this is this uses the license well. I've really been conflicted about that because on the one hand, I agree that a lot of these it's mechanics part of the license well, not all. Right, a lot of these mechanics. I, I think I think what it's good at is, is sort of channeling. It channels a lot of the psychological drama of the books. Who do you trust? You know, the, the yes. those themes that run through it. These these um, you know the 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 trust deficit. The sort of you know, besieges all these characters. It, it captures that very well. What it doesn't, what it doesn't have, and this, and this disappoints me throughout, is it really has absolutely no flavor of the no. flavor of the books. This is a game utterly devoid of personality, except in its mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree. Absolutely, with that. yeah. And this is something I wrote about in the blog that one of the big problems with trust and betrayal is it only really stings if I'm connected to the character. If it's just annoying envoy gone again, and I can just make another. So all these things are done. One of the great things about betrayal, what makes betrayal so powerful, an emotion, is there's something invested in it. Like the envoy has gained experience or something, um, and is therefore a powerful envoy, and not just another unit who's out there. Or he's got a name, uh, or he's got prestige or something, uh, and there's a connection to it. And there is really none of that. They're just units that go around and might work for you and might work against you. Um, I think that that was a downfall in 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 the game as a whole. There's 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 very little names or 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 very historical uh you know historical in in Westeros uh, uh setting, you know, it doesn't feel like it's really part of it. You yeah, know, every town is a town, every castle is castle. You know, even the feudal homes are just feudal homes. Yeah, and none, none, of, none of the houses beyond the hero units. Um so yeah, it's it's, it doesn't have, it captures the themes, but not the location and not the place. There was, though, another, there was, there was another element of this game that I thought was really inspired, and that is the decision to split the, split the game into two large phases. Uh, that there again, I thought, uh, hewed very closely to the source material. 
the the way it works is there there's peacetime and there's wartime and the game begins in peacetime and you're on sort of a countdown timer uh from goes from 100 down to 0 and the timer hits 0 it's time for war and all these diplomatic options we've been talking about kind of dry up your your diplomacy is done uh that's the moment where the, the real state of play is revealed to all to all players and i really enjoy i really enjoy the the decision to sort of split off split these two phases of the game. Uh, it, it, it seems like a very cool, almost almost board gamey touch, really, is that, you know, in the middle of the game, you know, now we, we move into a completely different phase and the rules are changing. Yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoy this idea that you can affect the speed at which the peace clock, you know, counts down. You can do conciliatory actions and extend the peace a little bit and delay the onset of war. Uh, but as you employ more aggressive means, uh, as you know, you begin to assassinate people, uh, as you begin to, you know, uh, aggressively intrigue against them, you slowly begin ratcheting up the tension and hasten the onset of war. And so you can create you, you can create these these dynamics where, you know, you want you want war to break out when you're ready for it to break out. The last thing you want to do is roll the dice and get everything set and say you're ready for war. But then there's like five more minutes of peace where that can get screwed up. It's an interesting it, it's it's an interesting trade-off the game sets up, uh, and it really makes me wish that what happens after the flip when the game switches to war was anywhere near as interesting or inspired as the peacetime diplomacy mechanics and the deception. Uh, you know, the, everything leading up to that big reveal. Uh, that's that can that that's really cool and it should be a really great moment and exciting you know here we go not you know now daggers drawn but it doesn't work that way because once war breaks out you're on the backslope into the dark valley of a really bad rts yes yeah agreed there's like no difference between you know i get they're, they're trying to make a big deal about some units are better against other units and 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 uh, you know, there's some strategy involved there, but it really just becomes a big mishmash of of units just beating up on each other. And uh, the thing that the, the great thing that you mentioned was the, the the flip, the change to to war. And I think that captures the kind of essence of uh, Martin's books so well because you know uh, there are there are characters in the books who uh, are the best at what they do, just on the verge of war. You know that they are they are they are trying to keep the the, the realm at peace the entire time, uh, but they are the most effective when it's there's tensions are high and things are about to happen, and uh, they try their their hardest just to stave it off that one extra bit. You know until, uh, as you said, their their armies are in place or, or things are already moving, um, and and that translates really well to to the house versus house kind of uh, uh, the mode of play. Uh, which I think is is I, mean, I don't know maybe you guys can agree I think that is really captures the setting a lot more than the campaign which yeah. sh- makes no sense you know the campaign should be you know part and parcel what you know Martin wrote uh, but those those missions just don't feel at all like you like you're embodying those events at all they just they're they're very they're by the bookie and everything like that um, so uh, I, I find that really interesting too it's just it's it's, it's terrible that there's uh, the AI is actually not much of a, a challenge. Did you guys find that as all, at all? Yeah, I mean, I found that in general, uh, throughout the game, if I was being undone, I was being undone by my own lack of speed or lack of attention to what was going on instead of right. the AI being especially clever. Um, I want to go to that whole flipping thing. I mean, that's 
it didn't really put me in mind of Martin's books, though you're right, it absolutely does. I was thinking World War One the entire time. Mm. I was thinking, you know, there's this crisis after crisis throughout the 19th century, building up, building up. Everyone knows war is coming, but it keeps getting ratcheted down to Congress after Congress. You know, we'll settle things, we'll calm things down, but everyone's building up and everyone's waiting and everyone's waiting for which crisis is going to be the one that puts things over the top. And it turns out to be a small thing in the Balkans, not the one in Morocco, and not the one in Samoa, and not the one in Venezuela, and not the one in Egypt, but the one in the Balkans. But it's going to happen somewhere. Um, and, but, and it's true that all the secret alliances get get uh, you know outed at that moment. And you know, and Italy, Italy just betrays everyone. Says, I'm not showing. I'm not showing up. Germany, sorry, I'm taking my balls and going home. And uh, every pen's already overly committed, and they can't back down. Though the people are furiously trying to back down, and just but it gets that whole sense of everybody knows the crisis is going to break and all they can do is try to slow it down or speed it up because it's sometimes in your interest to want the war now. And right. I think that, um, I think every good strategy game with war and peace has this, um, but they don't make it so obvious with a little clock uh, where, you know, the war is going to happen and you don't always get to choose when the war happens. The war is just going to happen. Somebody's going to declare it. I mean, in Civ, you pretty much Either if not somebody attacks you, you pretty much if you're the strongest person, you decide when the war is going to happen. You just go and you start it. Um, in general, you can buy off your enemy for a while, but the little timer says, you know, the 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 universe and the world and diplomacy marches at its own pace, and war is going to come, and winter is coming, and it's going to come, and it's going to smack you in the face, and you can slow it down, you can speed it up, but it's going to come. And I love that fatality of it, and it's. It's a nice little bit. I don't like it nearly as much. Like the, I think the diplomacy thing is more. I think the deceit thing is a more original uh, mechanic. But I think the timer is a real. It's an interesting spiritual theme. I think <laughs> in strategy games. Uh, well, that, I like you, seeing it about. You bring up a, a point though. Like I, I, I think I played a game where war was never declared, and I ended up having a hundred prestige points and winning the game. Right. Yeah. While you, still in peace. You, I, th I think you can hold it off for a long time. It's very hard, though. You, 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 you can win. You can hold off war, and you do win by prestige, yes. Right. But there's... But man, is that hard. Because, you, because the assassinations and the aggressive events are such an important part of your arsenal. Mm -hmm. You end up pushing it forward. Uh, unless, you know, you can... If you can really master the careful art of, of you know, subtly advancing your prestige without being a dirty little sneak, then yeah, yeah, you can do but, it. But the game explicitly rewards you for being a dirty little sneak, too. Yeah. It, it rewards yeah. you for doing things on the up and up. Yeah, you get prestige for that. You also get prestige for spilling the most blood. So yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where the, the mechanics are definitely in place. There's probably going to be, I mean, like a, you know, like a, like a good strategy game, I suppose, uh, there's going to be situations where someone can run a you know very passive a strategy, and if the right you know events and play styles conspire, that can work. But chances are someone's going to decide, well, you know, you're trying to be, you're trying to win the peace, uh, but I think I'm just going to start racking the bodies up. Yeah, and they I'm will be rewarded for that armies. too. Build as many armies as possible and just you know steamroll. Well, also, I, I found the defensive assassination was a very important tactic. I mean, the moment I would see an agent starting to you know tread onto my territory, uh, it was time to go kill him. And then you got That's the. Kind of, the... Kind of, it's kind of xenophobic, Rob. 
<laughs> as soon as you see that, yeah, you just you have to take the opportunity when you can. Yeah, Arizona comes to Westeros. No, it's just, it's just because there's that because there's this complete lack of trust. You know, the, the moment someone's agent shows up anywhere near your turf, you kind of have to assume they're up to no good. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know you should. You know, if you see a noble lady, she, there's nothing, you know, she's either going to steal one of your agents from you or she's going to lock down a territory. In either case, she's got to go. Uh, so, yeah, it, it becomes this really, you know, the cycle of violence, I suppose. Plus, you can have assassins sort of sit on the trade routes and kill merchants with their gold, uh, you know, and block trade routes. Right, right. And uh, you bring up an interesting point. I mean, the, the assassins, as a player, why you, there's no reason why you wouldn't kill a noble lady. Uh, but there are definitely characters in the Martin's books that would never, ever think of such a thing, you know? Eddard Stark is the perfect example of being the most honorable person. But there's, there's no chance to really play as that honorable character. Uh, there's, there's no, nothing rewards you for doing that. Yeah, and uh, I found that kind of odd. I think it might be a little bit better if, if there was some way to... to to uh, to be as as honorable as as the characters that you wanted to live out in order to, and still succeed. Hmm. I mean, I guess you have the choice to do to to kill them or not. But well, not to, I, I suppose we're 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 delving almost into a question of character. But I think I, I think this is this is a question worth asking. You know, I mean, the character of someone like Eddard Stark. For me, I don't think it's just a question of their certain their certain means he would never stoop to. I think there's a certain level of deception. He doesn't. He doesn't stoop to. There is a way to play. I, I would say there is a way to play this game aggressively, and very openly. Uh, you know, declaring what your interests are and and where you're attacking. There, there, there are ways to play it without sort of trying to engage. Not necessarily trying to deceive your opponents, but ne- but acting very directly and aggressively against them when they tread on you. Like, you know, when we talk about. You know, turning agents against the enemy, and you know, having them think assassinations are happening, having them think that alliances are being struck, and it turns out they're all shams. Uh, that, that's that's a very deceptive way to play. Mm-hmm. But when an assassin comes up and kills someone who is making trouble for for his master in a certain territory, you know, that doesn't necessarily that's not deception. You know exactly what happened. You know, right. you, that guy over there took out a noble, uh, a, a noble lady because. You know that town has to be open again. That town, you know, he needs that town. There's no deception there. You know, you know who's coming for you. I think there is a way to play it. It might not necessarily be, you know, rise to stark levels of honor. The game mechanics simply don't allow that. But I, I think there is a way to play it without necessarily, with, with, without doing that, um, going into counterintelligence, you know, types. I, I think you're totally, you're totally right. It's more like a choice that you would have to play. You know, that I'm going to choose to play it this way. Uh, but. It, the game so rewards you for being as dastardly as possible uh, that, uh, that that it's almost like in, in World of Warcraft choosing like you know to get to level 85 without killing anything you know or like you know uh, th- those kind of people that make a choice that I'm going to play a game a certain way uh, as opposed to um, the mechanics actually supporting that kind of play as well. I mean, I just wish you know, that there are so many neat ideas in the game. I just want to talk about you know the. I just wonder why they did things the way they did things. Why it is so hard to manage the game? Why is it? Why are the units so small? Mm. Why are they so hard to grab with my mouse? Why do they move so freaking fast? Well, 
Um, am I crazy, or is there just a general lack of responsiveness and sensitivity to clicks and camera yeah, yeah. movements? You're not. Oh, I, I mean, thought that was me. I thought that was my mouse. Is that, yeah, they is that just, oh, I, God. They, they, that wasn't your mouse. They do not I, respond well to, to clicks. They don't talk about well to, to drag select. I'm not even sure if drag select's active. Um, no, it, it is. Um, it, it's just... It's just not... It like Yeah, you select them, and then all of a sudden they're not selected. So, I mean, it is, it is, it is one of the worst UIs I've ever seen uh, in a modern real-time strategy game. Yeah. Um, the icons all look the same. Uh, it's impossible to know what mercenary is which. Why are they all tucked up there in the upper left corner? I mean, what a stupid place for them. Why aren't they down at the bottom? Well, I right. don't know that. I mean, that. I mean, you'd say that's sort of sins of a solar empire. I mean, you know, you you can have like. But sins of solar empires are born because because they have all these different fleets, so it has to fold out and down. So that makes sense. They just have just a couple of units up there. Um, it's not like they're little folding trees or anything. These aren't file icons with things no. that come down. They're just little blocks well, and, 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 and faces. So. And because they're all identical, again, like okay, so you can see all your envoys. Which one, you know, you can. Where are see, they? Yeah. Yeah. Which one? Are you, which one do you want to grab here? You have no way of knowing. So you just have to sort of double click on each one, and see where the camera snaps to. Yeah. Little things like that, and, and the the lack of responsiveness. I mean, every time I want to pivot the camera is just it's excruciating and it's it's little things like that where and and this happens a lot in strategy games honestly is you know little little basic elements that just sort of speak poorly of the build quality of the game you know where where you know if if the most basic things you can do you know <coughs> clicking moving the camera if those are if that's not a, if that doesn't quickly translate what you want into action on the screen then something's gone horribly wrong and you need to fix that before you get into this other stuff. Little things like that, yeah, they, they drive me insane. Also, you know, when it comes to, like, unit icons and portraiture, you know, you need a bit of the caricaturist uh, in order to make, make it clear, like, what you're dealing with. Like, something, need, you know, something needs to be communicated by these portraits. Yep. And I, I'm sorry, but it's just, <laughs> it is a medieval sausage fest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they all look. It, it, they're all the the same kind of grim face with the same color hair, even uh, you know, except for the envoy, you know. And yeah, and uh, some personalization I think would actually be really important so that they're not just all the same envoy. Like uh, it brings up what you were saying about having them, you know, giving them names and and stats would be really fun. I think you know each envoy should not have the same portrait. They all look different. And then you'd be like, oh, that guy's the one that's operating there. That's the guy that's operating, you know, in this kind of theater. And uh, I, I just found also that it was very it was very hard to select uh, units on the battlefield itself because they there's there's no collision so they just bunch up yep. especially if you have them uh, all all uh, uh, what's the word when they all queue up at the same point yeah uh, and then you forget about it you go back to them it's like oh I have no idea which ones are which and who's where and but it doesn't matter if you've got more troops there's supposedly unit balancing the game tells you you know cavalry beats archers or something like that but it, it doesn't matter if you've got no, two it's... cavalry and one archer it's you're still gonna win you're fine don't worry about it so in the most times just mob on mob um, and like I played this game I'm, I'm coming to this game after uh, you know having spent some time with uh, hegemony. And there's there's some similarities in the way they sort of abstract the combat, but I mean, talk about you know going from a game that does it well to a game that just has. And, and this is the thing I I run into again and again with this game is it kind of it, it kind of seems like there were parts of this game that Cyanide were, were really inspired by and took very seriously, and then there are things that just seem like they're there because they have to be there, and the military aspect 
that I get that feeling, you know, from beginning to end. And this is a game where I, I just know there's a story. I know there's a development story somewhere. Yeah. And it's a story that you know we're never going to know. We're, no one's ever going to tell us what happened. I mean, it's a French studio, um, so we don't have the contacts. I mean, no one. I'm not even in the industry anymore. So in media, so no one's going to tell me anyway. Uh, so it's and people just don't tell these stories. But, but I some, agree. So, but I think something happened somewhere in development. Something happened somewhere in marketing because there was this game was announced with you know a bit of fanfare. I mean, hey, Game of Thrones game coming out, but you didn't expect this. And no, no one really did, especially from freaking Cyanide. Um, and then nothing. No, no trailers. No interviews. I mean, not a single interview with the developers, which was you know mind blowing. I mean, uh, at the same time the HBO series is going on, there's like perfect synergy for a PR campaign. Um, meanwhile, here I am at E3 with Paradox, and they're doing this. They're showing Crusader Kings for the first time, and they say, "Oh, here's what we're selling. We're selling this is this is Game of Thrones, but it's historical. Go." Media who knew nothing about historical strategies got it immediately. Yeah. As there are noble houses, and they're scheming against you, and you have to gain more prestige and unite your kingdom, and all this stuff. And it's automatic because they all knew it. And this is the sort of thing that, you know, in a Game of Thrones RTS, it's like I mean, they just had a, a trailer at E3. There is a development story here because you don't blow things like mouse clicks and the basic grammar of interface. And this wasn't just a bad interface. The the the, the, the grammar of interface was fractured. <laughs> Um, this, because it just didn't work. The, you, there's no way this was tested properly. All these wonderful, I'll say, very genuinely insightful design ideas, completely undone by a game that really needed a proper beta test, proper play test. Um, this was rushed out or something? I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. But something happened somewhere. And I'm really sorry because I, I want to play the game that this almost was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I was thinking the same. There, there's got to be some uh, uh, reason for, for for everything the way it is, and I, you know, I, I think that Sina had a license for a long time because I remember hearing whispers about this game long before the HBO series. Yeah, uh, and I and there was it was oh it's going to come out. I was like, and that was when I was like just a fan of the books, and I was like, oh this is going to be great. And uh, 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 I think it was just rushed out the door when they were like, "Wow, it's every, this HBO thing is getting a lot of buzz. We got to get something as quickly as possible." Um, but you're right; it's it's kind of pointless to speculate because we'll never actually know. But it, yeah, but that 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 sounds right to me though too because it's coming right after the show went off the air. Yeah, I mean, but to me, I, I also kind of felt like, you know, lo- looking at this game as a whole. Um, I can't shake again the sense that there's something very board gamey about it. Uh, hell, I play I I play the game as much as possible from the uh, big strategic map where it's a hell of a lot cle- clearer and cleaner than the uh, than the main interface. Uh, the problem is it just doesn't give you enough information on the overview map to uh, let you play the game completely. But that's that's why I played a lot of the game. You know, shoving these shoving these chits around a board and uh, capturing territories. And it got me thinking, like, the parts of this game that drive me crazy are the little RTS things. Adjusting the camera, telling units to go here, trying to fight, you know, trying to fight battles. All these things just kind of don't work. 
but there are a lot of there are a lot of parts of this game where I think, well, I'm not even sure this needs to be an RTS. You know, I mean, if you have a countdown timer anyway, could it be done on sort of a turn by turn basis? Mm. You know, and and I don't know, but but the the bottom line is that there's there's a lot of cool unconventional ideas here, and where the game really falls down is badly the it's it badly executes these incredibly conventional ideas, and I kind of felt like you know the best thing this game could have done is maybe you know you know cut ties with the generic RTS that it you know at times tries to be and just go completely down the rabbit hole of these deception mechanics yeah i mean i i don't think they would have to redo the deception mechanics in a really dramatic way in order for it to go completely turn based because the real time is what keeps you from investigating everything so have to limit you to action points or something in order for it to really work. Yeah. Uh, it's a turn-based game, but you you could certainly you could certainly do that. I mean, it's, it's a board game. You can have action points. You only do so many actions because um, you have as much time as you want to investigate cities. Then you can uncover all the deceit. It doesn't matter anymore. Well, and, and it's when it's real time that when the game begins to waste your time through crummy interface, that's when that stuff starts to drive you insane. Yes, that's when that's when that deception stuff isn't fun anymore. That's when it becomes, well, holy crap. I'm, I could hardly wait for the countdown timer to go down, so I'm just going to beat some heads. Yeah. Because then, no matter how bad the interface is, at least I know what I'm doing. Um, I don't have to lasso a bunch of envoys and guess and hope they show up at the right place. <laughs> well, I actually, I think, I think it would be uh, a detriment, actually, if it, went, if it went completely all diplomacy and espionage and not combat. Because I think that promise that that switch is is really what makes all the the stuff before it interesting, you know. Because with without that promise of you know, if you were just playing an espionage game, uh, I just don't think it would uh, it would work. Because you you need to have you know the 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 possibility of something bad happening, you know, the possibility yeah. of all your plans going to naught, the possibility of someone just having a bigger army, you know, someone just being able to 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 steamroll over you with more might. Um, but if, uh, you know, I, I think the way the mechanics work now, you would just need to vastly redesign how the, the armies work. And instead of having, you know, eight or ten different kinds of armies, that can be actually much more simplified. So it's 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 a little bit more streamlined. And, you know, if it's just might makes right anyway, just you have two or three different kinds of units. Yeah. So... But, it is very much a it is very much a board game. I didn't even realize that you could play as the the chit, you know that that uh, the thing that comes up when war is declared. That that actually would be pretty interesting, and you know, and then you want to think of what would it be if it was actually just a board game. That's something I wanted to get to next. Actually, is and I I don't know if if this is an accurate comparison because uh, you know I've I've only I've only heard about Napoleon in Europe via your Twitter feed, really. Right. right. But it it seems like there's a similar sort of ebb and flow between times where you're frantically trying to strike deals with your fellow players, and then times where sort of like you know diplomacy, where suddenly now we bring it all out in the open and another round of wars begins. Hmm. So I was wondering, could you get into Napoleon in Europe a little bit, and a little bit like, what are the politics of this game? How does it work? And it, it seems like there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of bargaining that's going on uh, behind the scenes of this game, uh, and, and then that sort of translates into action on the battlefield. But could you get into that a little bit? 
Yeah, of course. Um, you know, uh, Alex McCreese, actually, uh, uh, the publisher of The Escapist, um, kind of was almost like three weeks ago now, uh, was like, I want to do this team building exercise and have us play Napoleon at war at work. And we're like, all right, sure. Uh, and uh, a couple people volunteered, and there, there's seven factions in Napoleon and Europe, and it's based. Uh, this was a game uh, made by Eagle Games, I think, in like 2001. Um, but it's it's out of print now, and actually some of the pieces are a little bit hard to find. So there was that kind of mystique about it, of like, oh, we get to play this game that I've heard about, but is you know a little bit rare. Um, and each player uh, was able to find uh, to pick uh, a faction uh, in in Europe uh, during the Napoleonic Wars. So there's France, Britain, Prussia, uh, Russia, the Ottoman Empire, uh, and Spain. And um, each each uh, person in the office is playing one of those people and what's really happened is become a, a combination of office politics and uh and actual war gaming uh and strategy so it's 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 different in that there's i guess there is deception involved because uh it's very rare for me to see two people who are playing the game talking to each other uh in in their office and not immediately think oh my god is france talking to spain what the heck is going on? What are they doing? What are they talking about? Your mind immediately leaps there. And I've talked to other players, and they're like, "I as soon as I see two people talking together, I immediately think it's about the game. I do not think it's about work <laughs> at all." Um, and uh, interestingly enough, the 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 lines there's seven players has really been four versus three. We've almost created this kind of you know World War One, World War Two uh, situation in Europe, where. Uh, the alliances are Prussia, Austria, Spain, and the Ottomans versus Russia, Britain, and France. And uh, the, the way those all happened were very piecemeal. Like it wasn't like, oh, we're on this side, we're on this side. It all happened slowly and it evolved. And when when you know uh, Britain uh, made an alliance with Russia, I felt very betrayed because I I'm I'm friends with Russia. I'm friends with the guy named uh, Skylar Devendorf. He's uh he's 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 a he's a great communist and he was you know talking about how he wanted to be friends with Prussia and he would never invade Prussia, and then uh, England had attacked me and so I wasn't really very friends very much friends with England who's played by uh, uh, the editor in chief uh, Steve Butts, and when the turn where I found out that Russia had signed an alliance with um with Great Britain I, it was like a pit at, it fell in out of my stomach and I was like what the heck just happened I feel like I was just stabbed in the back. You know, for real, because of all of the 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 negotiations that had gone on, you know, over IMs, over emails, over talking about it, and the the to everyone's credit, who's playing the game, we've been sending out these emails that are like in character, which is a little bit dorky, but still a lot of fun to be like, hey, I'm Frederick, uh, you know, King Frederick William from from Prussia, uh, talking to Spain, and there's been taunting and everything going on. But where the deception comes in uh, is is that kind of machination of trying to figure out who is actually working for who. And there's been a lot of what's, – what's really been happening has been a lot of false overtures where someone will be like, well, I'll totally be on your side. Uh, but the, the way that makes this board game interesting is that alliances and de- declarations of war, anything you do politically, you have to spend a what's called a political action point. And uh. you only can – produce uh, uh, political action points um, and, and produce any units actually once every three turns. So uh, unlike Risk or, or, or other um, you know, strategy war games, you're not just building units every single turn. You have to kind of think about okay, what's this season going to be? What am I going to need? What am I, you know, is it better to invest? And you can buy political action points uh, from uh, from your production points, which are you know two separate things. So there's a way you can invest in 
you know, political capital, say like, I'm going to put all my money in these things so I'll have flexibility diplomatically. But once you're invested in an alliance, which takes two political action points, uh, it takes one political action point to break that alliance. So, and then another one to declare war. So if you really are going to backstep someone, uh, it takes a significant investment. Almost, you know, that's akin to uh, uh, um, if, if infantry costs six each, you know, it's akin to um, uh, like, tw- you know, 10 infantry uh, to, to, to do that backstep. So it's something that's very important. Um, now, do, do you find that stabilizes the diplomacy? Because this is what's always driven me crazy about, like, you know, games like Diplomacy or Risk is that there there really is no... You know, every turn someone's getting screwed over, and you just get whiplash. Uh, you know, as, as the dynamic shift, but it also creates this really sort of disrupted flow. Do Do you find it sort of stabilizes the politics a little bit and creates for a game that sort of evolves more slowly? Yes, yes, it definitely does because there will be times where, like, oh man, I can't believe he did that. I'm going to go attack him, and, and then you're like, well, wait, I have to declare war before I do that, and I don't have any political action points, so I actually can't attack him. It's impossible to do so. So there's definitely, uh, you know, you have to plan ahead and think about what you're doing. Um, and uh, that's why investing in the flexibility is a big thing, you know, because if a situation like that does arise, if you have two political action points in the bank, then you're able to, to actually do something uh, in the game. So, you know, that's a viable strategy too, but then you're not, you don't have as big of an army because you're investing in, in diplomacy. And, uh, and it really did stabilize the alliances for a long time. Uh, we're playing this over over time, so we're just basically doing turns when people have time and, and doing battles when people have time during work. So, it's uh, it's been you know you you could play this game over like a weekend. You know, this is this is not like a, a short you know four hour affair. Uh, the, the rules that we're doing we're starting in like 1802 and we're going to like 1814, oh my and God. each turn is a month. So it's a hundred uh, it's 180 turns is what it works out to. And we're on like turn 30 or something like that. So we're we're not even You are kidding. At, no, this is this is going to be a very long haul. So that's what we a lot of us are like, "Oh my god, all so much has happened." And we're like, "You know what? This game has just begun." You know? So now here here's the thing. How do you, how how does the game prevent someone from being, getting exterminated? I mean, I can't imagine anything lamer than being wiped out on turn 25 of a 180 turn strategy game. The interesting all right, so you can you, you can lose all of your territories, and actually, I, I'll tell you about what happened today. We actually had two nations who have like two territories left each at this point. Uh, they totally got they got they lost major major battles. Um, and you uh, and another thing, you take territory after after uh, war uh, peace is declared. Uh, after you sue for peace, you take territory by using political action points too. So that's that's very important. But uh, even if you lose all of your territory, you're not out of the game. You know, you still exist as a leader. Uh, and if the person who controls your territory uh, loses a war from someone else, your uh, ally or you know just another player can liberate your territories for half a political action point. Uh, so it's a way to get you back in the game. Uh, and once you have home territories then you can produce units there and all of a sudden you know it's possible to come back it'd be very hard to do also though you would gain uh during every production phase which is like i said every three months you gain a political action point so if even if you're out of the game for many 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 turns you'll still be building up political capital uh and um uh, and production as well uh if you have any, any territories left so 
the really clever thing, this is something that uh, has been bandied about, is even if you're knocked out, if you declare war at the right time against the right person, like a person who's about to lose a major battle or about to lose, yeah. you and you declare war, you'll be involved in the Congress, which splits up that person's territory. And then all of a sudden you have these like 15 political action points that you've saved up over you know, 50 years of not doing anything politically in Europe. Oh my God. And you'll be able to purchase your territory, either your territories back or, you know, their territories. Wow. That, that's been said that like, you know, you'll never, you, you can be eliminated, but you're never really truly eliminated because of, of things like that. And, uh, and, you know, going back to the whole deception kind of phase the, the, the biggest negotiation that we had, uh, was actually last Friday where France was, as I said, allied with Great Britain. And they were the two big superpowers, uh, and Russia was a big superpower as well. So we, the the four of us, definitely felt like we were getting like you know beat up all the time. But we convinced France to uh, renege his his alliance with Great Britain, and uh, I you might have seen it, I tweeted about it on Friday, uh, and I mentioned Steve Butts, who is England. So basically, you know, France betrayed England, taking a deal from England for territory, and then taking a deal with us for territory directly afterwards so he basically you know played both sides perfectly and, and got territory out of it that that i i talked to steve butts afterwards and he was like man that hurt that was that was really painful i was home and i saw you that tweet and i was <laughs> angry i was angry for like i was like you know i'm with my family and i'm angry for like 10 minutes but you know i, I got over it i totally got over it but it's it's been you know that my you know the I gotta say, this doesn't sound like much of a team building exercise. <laughs> That's what I was just gonna say was that was that you know this was a team shattering exercise is really what it's turned out to be. Uh, but you know it's been a lot of fun and and uh, you know there we'll have you know late night discussions around the table that's that's set up in our office, um, and uh, you know negotiate all all kinds of, of things and then, and then there's also I mean on top of all of this this political, you know, diplomacy part, there's a, there's a, a kind of interesting, almost like chessboard, like uh, tactical battle. So when, when you actually do fight, you, you fight on a battle and there's terrain and, and different, uh, you know, artillery and, and, and horsemen and stuff like that. So now, from a war game perspective, is that actually satisfying? Is it, is it, is it actually fun to do that? It is. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's a, it's abstracted. Uh, and I like the way that it is abstracted, but, you know, there's, there's, there's very, there's, there's only cavalry, artillery and infantry, uh, and a, and a leader, uh, so you can like rally people and stuff like that. And uh, the complexity comes in uh, in positioning and and when to use artillery against our infantry and that kind of stuff. So it's it's not as complex uh, even as as Axis and Allies or something like that. But uh, it still gives a satisfying kind of tactical you know to mix it up. And it, it you know there's always the element of chance. And we we had something terrible happen where we were we we felt like we had the, the forces that we needed to uh, to defeat Great Britain. Uh, and uh, our units were attacking from different territories, so there's a, a chance to see when they show up in the battle, like when your reinforcements will show up. And we got the worst possible result, and they, they came in the third, the third turn in the tactical battle, uh, which ended up screwing us terribly. And Great Britain won, you know. So we we're like, oh man, we had the advantage, we had everything like you know staked against us, but still, yeah. chance will screw you. So very much like war. And there's there's also you know there's there's a whole bunch of other uh, uh, gamey type things like cards and, and and rewards and stuff like that. But it's been really a lot of fun, and it has really rekindled my love of uh, of strategy board games. I like I can't get enough of them. I really want to play them as much as possible. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, that sounds absolutely terrific. It's breaking my heart that this this game is apparently this game is out of print. 
I believe so. Yeah, it's, it was uh, Eagle Games. I don't. I think the company itself went out of. No, I, they did the Civilization game recently. You know, Eagle Games is still going. Uh, it is still going. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I know that there's 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 people who are trying to track down extra pieces because sometimes the 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 the, the copies yeah. that were sold weren't worth. I think. I think they might have got subsisted by they another. Got, company. They probably got bought. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Yeah, there's a website. And we've been checking, you know, crazy FAQs and rules because, you know, it's it's already right. happened that so many different. Uh... Oh, that is the ugliest website I've yeah, ever seen. Pretty yeah, pretty nice. Welcome to my Ge- GeoCities page. <laughs> is it? Does it have the the colors changing? No, it's definitely a game to keep my eye out for because that is uh, that sounds fantastic. It sounds like there's a lot of interesting ways that it sort of that it keeps it from being just sort of a series of pylons. Yes. Yeah. And there is, um, you know, attrition rules as well. So you can't actually stack tons of units, you know, in in one territory without the danger of, of losing some of them too, which I thought was a really great rule because, you know, after a while, if someone just is able to build up and build up and build up, there's like no reason, there's no way you can you can fight them. Uh, but, um, you know, the the the, the rules that stand is that if you're if you're you've taking up too much of the food sources in that same in that thing, you you know, you're losing it. And uh, so it, it actually, it, what I like about it too is that it it reflects a lot of the actual battles and how they were fought during Napoleonic times, uh, which is you know kind of rare in a, in a in a board game to actually kind of it's kind of akin to how Game of Thrones kind of gets the feel of the espionage and down, so, just get the feel of Napoleonic combat down. So here's something that I'm interested. In. This is a, it's a, I mean, the old games. These aren't super complicated games, uh, but board games in general, it's sometimes hard to get people interested in them and get them involved. But of course, you know, your boss said, hey, we should do this as a team building exercise. So everybody says, yes, boss, <laughs> we're going to go and do this. Uh, but clearly, you know, everyone's rallied around and is actually interested in this. Yeah. Has really gotten really involved in it. Um, and you're, you say so you want to push on and you want to try this. Is there going to be like, first of all, more board game coverage on The Escapist? Yeah, I that's think, something you know, that I've always wanted to. So uh, I think that's a natural carryover because there is really there's a lot of overlap there. There is a, the new revival of interest in board games in 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 general, and we don't need another video series from you guys. <laughs> he said politely, uh, <laughs> and uh, not my department. I know. And uh, Penny Arcade could always use more of that. Keep them coming. True. <laughs> ouch! Ouch! And also, so you're all going to be moving on to other games when you're all 50 and this one's wrapped up. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, I've, I've always wanted to bring more um, general gaming stuff to the Escapist more than just, you know, the video games. Because I think that uh, any, good, any good nerd or geek or, you know, anybody who, who kind of follows that kind of culture uh, does different things. You know, they're not just one kind of player one kind of gamer you know and uh it's part of the reason why i pushed so heavily to cover you know game of thrones this the show when it came out you know like this is something that i'm interested in and i know there's a lot of people you know like me who come to the site and want to see everything like that so i think board games are definitely a, a big thing and we've always uh kind of you know put it as a lower lesser priority because it's like well you know when we have the time or you know when that will happen and i think uh it's just you know the way that this has kind of turned out with napoleon in europe i'm i'm i've said a few times like i totally want to write up something about this you know i'm still trying to figure out yeah, what it, to write well, up about there needs to be some all kind the, of ar all the best game designers i know 
are really huge students of board games. I mean, they yeah. really get into the mechanics. They understand how they work. And all the best game design programs I know make their students play board games and understand board games and, and role-playing games, like pen mm-hmm. and paper role-playing games and board games. And I think that, you know, in some ways it's, it's great that board games are coming back and that people of in my generation and the generation just below us are really getting into them. But it's a chance to, you know, rediscover, you know, basic, simple game design and the, the, the beauty of rules. This is a great thing. You're talking about this whole, the, the, the math of the political action shits. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's a mechanic. That's a rule. That's a system and how it limits you and how the opportunities it gives you if you sit out for a number of turns, but how it restricts you from really dramatic, drastic action, how you have to plan ahead. That's a very simple system, but it really changes how the game plays and changes the experience and locks things in place or doesn't in certain ways. And that's something I think all great game designers, I think all real students of gaming in general, uh, should understand. And I, I think that'd be great if you had, you know, a really good, solid, somebody who understood board games, I mean, really getting into this sort of stuff on the escapist. And I think it would help your readers understand, you know, there's a lot of overlap. That, you know, games aren't just, you know, games aren't just, I mean, games aren't just story. A lot of games now are a story, and story's important, and games are narrative. The games are, I'm, a, a large part of me also st- is still the old school. Games are systems, games are rules. And even something like, you know, Dead Island, they have that stupid rotting weapon system there for a reason. It doesn't make any sense to me, but they put it in there for a design reason. I don't think it's a good design reason, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And I think understanding design at a more basic level helps gamers kind of figure that out instead of just throwing their hands up and saying, well, that's the way it is. And, um, you know, I think board games are a way to do that. I think you're right because because we uh, video game designers in some way have become hamstrung by the ease of calculation. You know, by being yeah. able to work with huge numbers on a, on a on a very quick scale. Uh, you know, this this weapon is plus ninety seven to this stat, and this thing is you know will give you you know fifty five on this. You know, board games, you can't use numbers like that because they're hard to add. You know, it's harder to really do that in your head quickly, and it slows down play, and that's, you know, the antithesis of a fun board game. So I, I agree with you. I think that, that all good game designers go back to the simplicity of the mechanic and, and finding out what works and what makes it fun, um, you know, without the, 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 the computation, you know, without the big the big calculations. And... Um, you know, and, and you're about the rebirth of board games. I was so amazed when I went to uh, Gen Con this year in Indianapolis. It seemed, and I, I don't really have verification for this, but it seemed like Fantasy Flight Games and Mayfair Games had a bigger presence than Wizards of the Coast. They were, you know, demoing every, and, and I don't think I saw an empty chair at any of the Fantasy Flight demo tables, you know, or a Settlers, Settlers of Catan tables. Like, it, it all day long. People were there. They wanted to play new games. It was really fun to, to, to play prototypes of, of, of board games, you know, to, to talk to the people who are actually making these things and, and, and how they're, they're, they're basically, ba- you know, the, what the cool thing about the gaming system, the gaming culture right now is that each facet is learning from each other. You know, role-playing games are, are, you know, for better or for worse, incorporating a lot of video game mechanics in, in how they work. Uh, board games are really kind of figuring out the, the beta test and how and how to to open it up to, uh, you know, 
a larger population that's not the general public, you know, going to game conventions, interacting with people on that level. And I, I find it just really, really kind of great. And I think that those, you know, as you said, like being a, a, a student of all games uh, and board games being, you know, a, a large spoke in, in, in the whole wheel, uh, I think is, is really kind of exciting. So, yeah, you should talk to your boss. Talk to Steve. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Steve Flinch. <laughs> I think I think everybody's on board. It's now just trying to figuring out how that works. You know, whether it's reviews or whether it's just game theory. Uh, you know, how, how to make it happen. And find find the person who has the time to do it. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's always a big. That's always a big thing. Yeah. Time and the knowledge. Time and the money. Time, money, knowledge. Yeah. Hey, speaking of time and money, Troy, what, what's going on this month? Why this is our, this is the monthly pledge drive, the annual pledge drive. Uh, October, last year, uh, October 2010, was the first pledge drive for Three Moves Ahead, and we're going to be doing this every October uh, while this podcast is still moving. It has outlived my hosting and survived going into the first, near the end of the first year of the Zachary regime, and will outlive him once he's moved on into public relations heaven, where <laughs> all writers where go. Where all good game journalists go. <laughs> but we do uh, ask you uh, this time of year to... Uh, reach into your wallets and or reach into your PayPal accounts and donate to uh, Three Moves Ahead uh, on the Flash of Steel blog my blog, flashofsteel.com there is a donate button PayPal in the upper right corner and that will send a little donations straight to Rob Zachney's PayPal account now what are you paying for? we do this for nothing for the most part You're paying. For, uh, a lot of it is just a chance to, to tip us and show your appreciation for uh, a job well done, we've, we've put together, I think, under Rob's leadership and a little bit of assistance from the amazing panelists that we've had this year, uh, a really high-quality show. Uh, the audio quality has been improved with the help of our producer, Michael Hermes, and it would be nice to throw him an honorarium uh, from your donations. It helps support server costs for the Libsyn and other fees, especially if we decide to migrate to a Three Moves Ahead dedicated site with a forum where you all can interact and talk about uh, the podcast outside of my blog, though I do love your comments on the blog and Three Moves Ahead will always be an integral part of Flash of Steel. Uh, the money helps sometimes uh, when there are uh, meetups. I've picked up uh, a couple of tabs for meetups uh, from, from fans uh, because I like meeting people. I like meeting you and not having you all show up and worrying about, you know, can I afford the $25, $30, $40 uh, that sometimes dinner costs at a decent place to eat. So it's uh, really, the money is a chance for you to support us, say uh, thanks for putting on the show, to give us the encouragement to keep doing the show. Uh, it sounds like, you know, we do this just for the hour or sometimes 90 minutes a week, but actually it's quite a bit of work goes into putting this together, not just the editing afterwards, which has been passed on to Michael Hermes, uh, but the planning and the organizing and the scheduling, sometimes weeks ahead, uh, sometimes minutes ahead, and those are the worst ones because the heart attack stays with you for days and days after. Well, and <laughs> also it's it's also worth pointing out that a lot of times, like maybe one of us, uh, perhaps me, is being paid to review a game or something, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of, just as often I'm not being paid to look at a game for this, but yep. we all have to spend time uh, yeah. you know, looking at what we're talking about because... Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, there's time that's spent. I mean, I don't have time to play every game anymore. And sometimes, you know, we don't have time, we don't have the money for each of us to get a review build for games we want to talk about. 
um, and the money will help uh, go to support that. Money goes to a lot of different little causes, but really it's just a chance uh, for you to donate what you see fit. Uh, the podcast will always be free. Uh, we're never going to be, there's never going to be a subscriber fee. Uh, we don't have anything to give you. There aren't any prizes. We're not going to keep asking you for it in November or December. This is just the October chance to remind you that we're doing this and we love our audience. Uh, we understand that times are very tough this year, uh, economically, especially uh, in many parts of the U.S. Um, our hearts and prayers are with you all. Reach into your pockets, reach into your wallets. If you want to, uh, there's no pressure. There's no, there's no mug, there's no tote bag, but there is our, our gratitude. And hopefully a slightly better show and slightly better community building initiatives next year. Like maybe a meetup in Boston. The, the, long, the long talks about meetup in Boston Def, definitely needs to go on the agenda. I was hoping to put some of you away for this month, but uh, if you've been following my Twitter, uh, this has been kind of an odd month. It's, it's, my, first, it's my first month as a uh, real full-time reviewer. It's my first uh, release season as a full-time reviewer, and it's been um, an eye-opening experience, let me just say. This has been a very weird month. It has. It has. So that's our pitch. Uh, I hope you'll see fit to donate. Uh, and no pressure, but I do, f- I do feel the need to warn you that uh, if we don't meet our targets, uh, we will not support the PC as a platform anymore, and uh, we may just have to go console exclusive. Uh, that's the business. I'm sorry, but we got to eat. Con- consoles are dead, dude. We're going to iOS. That's right. That's right. Only strategy... Facebook games. Oh, that's a, that's a growing market, dude. That's true. Not, Next not, week, Kings not, satur- not saturated <laughs> at all. Wait, wait, can we do an Ebony review? Yeah, yeah. God, we should. But anyway, we're, <laughs> I we're totally getting... I totally feel guilty about uh, about donating now. I'm totally going to donate. You guys did such a great pitch. I'm it's it, I have to now. It's like you know, it's like my mother being like, "You don't have to." No pressure. Actually, now, now, but, now I'm hoping some really awkwardly huge amount from you showing up in my PayPal. Like, yeah. uh, Troy, I don't know if we can actually accept this. <laughs> like, my baby doesn't need hey. diapers. We'll just, we'll just give did, you guys. Did, did, Greg just, did Greg just mail me the deed to his house? <laughs> Here, take my baby. It's okay. She's fine. She's, she's worth, like, you know, tons of money on the black market. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that I note. That's it. <laughs> yep. On that possibly criminal note, <laughs> I think it's time to call it a night. Uh, thank you once again for joining us, Greg. Uh, I know it was short notice, uh, but thank you for contributing to a really interesting discussion of uh, one really interesting screwed-up game, and then a game that the fact it's not in print is just going to drive me insane. Yes, no problem at all. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. I, I feel like I could talk about uh, both those games forever, so... Well, make sure to put together an AAR then, and we will be sure to link it at the bottom of this podcast. Will do. And once again, my thanks for your patience. I know we're getting the show out a little late, and my thanks to Michael Hermes, who's going to have to put this to- show together on very short notice. I know it's an inconvenience. We try to avoid it. But so my thanks to you and Michael for putting up with our tardiness. Uh, say goodnight, everybody. Night, everyone. Good night.